The Gospel writers often draw our attention to the details of Jesus' crucifixion that were the fulfillment of Scripture. John's account is no different. But have you ever wondered what significance, apart from fulfillment, these details might have? Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly message from Gamia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor at GBC, and I hope that you hear the invitation of the Holy Spirit as you listen to this message today. As a community of faith, this is what we are passionate about, people hearing and responding to the invitation of God to join in His mission to renew everything in Jesus. This message, given on Good Friday, we continue this short Easter series entitled Behold. The series is in John's Gospel and reflects on the way John uses language and imagery from the book of Exodus to describe Jesus' ministry. Our associate pastor, Mark Coleman, who leads our Welcome and Integration Ministry, focuses today on the fulfillment of Exodus 12:46, that not one of Jesus' bones would be broken. This reference to the Passover lamb sheds light on what John believed Jesus' death accomplished and its implications for us. Uh, the reading today is from uh, John chapter 19, verses 28 to 37. That's John 19, 28 to 37, the death of Jesus. Later, knowing that everything had been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, springing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies that so you also may believe. These things happen so that scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken, and as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Well, hello and good morning. Would you join with me in prayer as I begin? Father God, thank you that you invite us into this moment right now. Father, thank you that you're present with us by your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray this morning that we would be receptive to all that you have for us, Lord, that our hearts would be soft to be changed, transformed by you, Lord, that we would be stirred into action to move forward, to take steps with Jesus this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Anton Chekhov was a Russian playwright who developed a dramatic theory that said that every element in a story must be necessary, and none of those elements must be redundant. Every element 
must be necessary, and none of them must give a false promise of being significant or having some part to play in the story and then amount to nothing. So, for example, if you read in chapter 1 that there is a hanging gun on the wall, it must go off by chapter 3. All of those elements must be significant. And when you begin to explore some of the details of the story, you suddenly begin to realize that some of the small things might actually have quite a significant implication in the story. They might have a big impact. And the details were significant for a scientist called Alexander, who went away on holiday one September. And he left a whole bunch of uh, Petri dishes in his lab Uh, and he was studying the effects of bacteria, and when he came back from his holiday, he discovered that all of them had been contaminated with bacteria. But in one Petri dish, he noticed there was a blob of mold growing in the middle of it, and around that, there was no bacteria. In that moment, Alexander Fleming discovered the detail that was penicillin, and that detail led to many lives being saved. But sometimes, missing the detail can result in the tragic loss of life. David Blair was uh, the second officer of a very large and significant ship. And uh, it was the second officer's role to be responsible for looking out when the ship was sailing. They were the person who was responsible for kind of observing the horizon and looking out over the oceans. And... At the very last minute, due to some family crisis, David Blair uh, was replaced on this significant journey of this large ship. He was called away, and another second officer had to take his place. And as he left, he unfortunately took with him the keys to his locker. And in his locker is where they kept the binoculars. So the second, uh, the replacement second officer who came on board and who was charged with looking out, observing the oceans, had to just do that with his eyes. No binoculars to, to do his job. And if he'd had binoculars, he would have noticed the iceberg that they were heading towards much sooner. And the Titanic would have been able to change its course and many, many lives would have been saved. They say that the devil is in the detail. But what if Jesus is in the detail? And what if those details are so significant that life might be protected, that life might be saved? There are significant details in this passage that we've had read for us today. There are significant details in this story of Jesus going to the cross. This whole Easter weekend is full of significant details, and some of them I think we might miss. So let's have a look at some of those details this morning. There's a bit of kind of context to where we're up to, to where our reading uh, takes us this morning. We are setting, set the scene with uh, Jesus, this Jewish man who has been brought before Pilate, who is a Roman governor. He's been brought before Pilate by uh, significant religious leaders, and they are calling for him to be punished. They are calling for him to be crucified. He is being condemned as a blasphemous heretic. 
He is rejected by those that he came to save. Jesus is flogged and a crown of thorns is woven together and pressed so tightly on his head that the thorns begin to dig in and blood begins to pour down his face. He is slapped in the face as a sign of disrespect. And then Jesus is taken to the cross. Jesus is crucified. Jesus is abandoned by those most close to him, apart from a small group of women who remained with him, faithful until the end. And now we reach our reading, the reading we've had this morning, the death of Jesus. And there are some key details in this passage as well. In verse 28, we read that Jesus is thirsty and that he is then given some wine vinegar, which seems like a strange detail to have pointed out to us. But I uh, decided to do a bit of research, and my Bible comes with footnotes. And that's quite handy when you're preparing for a sermon, so I thought I'll have a look at the footnote. And it tells me that Psalm 69 verse 21 tells us that King David cries out in suffering in Psalm 69, and he is given wine vinegar to quench his thirst. Seems like an interesting, significant detail, a parallel in Scripture. We then find in verse 31 that it is the day of preparation for Passover. It's the day before the special Sabbath. So Passover, that's a detail that gives us a context. It gives us some information about the timing of events, why this is happening, where where in history, where in time, where, where even in the annual calendar this event is happening. So perhaps Passover is a significant detail as well. Verse 33, we read, that Jesus' legs were not broken. It was a common practice to break the legs of someone who was being crucified because it sped up the process of crucifixion. Because if your legs were broken, you could no longer push yourself up on the nails that were driven through your feet and get that last gasp of breath into your lungs because they were compressed by hanging from your hands. Verse 34, we see that Jesus is stabbed in the side and blood and water flow out. Why are we being told that? Well, I did a bit of research and I discovered that um, a process called pleural effusion happens as a result of crucifixion. And that is a buildup of fluid around the heart and lungs as a result of the exhaustion of being crucified. And that when Jesus was stabbed in the side with a spear, it likely the spear pierced that sack of fluid and into the heart and therefore a mixture of what looked like water poured out of Jesus and then the blood from his heart followed. But why are we being told that detail? I mean, yeah, I guess it's helpful. It, reminds, it, it actually lets us know that Jesus was dead in that moment. But also, if you look at your footnotes again, that a prophecy 500 years before Jesus, speaking on behalf of God, prophet Zechariah says in chapter 12, verse 10, Jerusalem will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. This is a pretty significant detail, that 500 years before Jesus, this event is pretty accurately being represented. And that was a mind-blowing fact for me, to discover something of that detail. But 
the leg's not broken thing, that, got, that stuck with me. And you may not think it's a significant detail. I'd almost got to the point of going, okay, so there's something about the mechanics of what happened in that moment. Jesus' legs weren't broken. All right, we'll move on. But then you get to verse 36, and it urges us to take another look. It says, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. All right, I can't just leave it behind as an inconsequential fact of something that happened. And interestingly enough, because this is a series uh, entitled Behold, Echo, uh, reflect, sorry, Exodus Unfolding in John's Gospel, get it right, we changed the title a couple of times, um, but Exodus Unfolding in John's Gospel, helpfully, this reference here can be found, surprisingly, in Exodus. And this series is all about exploring how imagery that we come across in the book of Exodus helps us understand what John then reveals to us in his account, particularly now at the end of Jesus' life. So in Exodus 12, verse 46, we hear this written. Speaking about the Passover lamb, it says, It must be eaten inside the house, Do not take any of the meat outside the house, and do not let one of the bones be broken. So this had me wondering, a bit fixated, to be honest, on the significance of this. I mean, why do they talk about not breaking any of the bones? Was this just a regulation? Did this guarantee that the meat tasted better? What was the significance of connecting Jesus with this lamb? For me, this part of the story became Chekhov's lamb. So I did some more reading. And I did some more research, and I discovered that in this detail was something far more significant. That this was a detail that had a far bigger impact on this story than I at first realized. This week I discovered what a midrash is. And I didn't even have to visit the doctor to find out. A midrash is a Jewish commentary on the Torah, which is the early scriptures, the early Hebrew scriptures. And it's writings, historical writings, that can help us understand a bit more of the context, a bit more of what we read in the accounts in the early books of the uh, Old Testament. And they help us to understand some of the history, the context, the setting. They aren't the Bible, but they are helpful in informing how we understand and interpret the Bible. And I came across a midrash that describes the story, a story of Moses, the Moses of Exodus fame, who one day kills two stags. And once they have cooked and eaten the meat, Moses rearranges the bones, puts them together, he lays his staff on top of them, and he prays a prayer to God. And those stags have flesh formed back on the bones and are raised to life. Whether you believe in the Midrash, it highlights a reality found throughout all of Hebrew culture, that the preservation of bones was central to a Jewish belief in resurrection. 
The preservation of bones was central to a Jewish belief and understanding of resurrection. Care for the bones of the dead was a really significant part of ancient Jewish culture. In fact, I discovered uh, yesterday in a conversation with our uh, kids and families coordinator, Roxanne, that Jewish um, people back in this time used to take the bones of those that had died, and once the flesh had kind of fallen off it, they would gather the bones and they would uh, protect them. They would keep them, preserve them for even longer in a small, often in a small box or in a place that was designated for those bones called an ossuary. The preservation of bones was really significant for Jewish people because it connected them with a hope of resurrection. And this idea of bones being resurrected immediately got me thinking about Ezekiel 37, where the prophet is invited to prophesy to a valley of dry bones, and he sees them resurrected before his eyes. So here is a small detail that has a big impact on our understanding of this passage. I mean, I was already in mind-blown territory by the time I'd read this. None of Jesus's bones were broken, connects us with a Jewish hope for the resurrection, which is coming, which is amazing. But if not breaking the bones is specifically about the hope of resurrection, is there any other significance for connecting Jesus with the Passover lamb? I have a hate-hate relationship with mosquitoes. I hate them, and in turn, they hate me. And so to protect myself, I turn to Aragard. I smear Aragard on my neck and on my arms, my legs, my ankles, on the doorposts. Okay, not on the doorposts, but Aragard is working exactly like the Passover lamb. Almost, except the lamb stakes are much, much higher. So here's why. Let's have a look at Exodus 12, verses 7 to 13. Here in Exodus we see the final plague described. This is the final plague that God is going to bring on Egypt as he is seeking to release his people, the Israelites, set them free from uh, Egyptian kind of capture or rule. And he is bringing about the release of his people. And the, the final plague is that the firstborn will be struck down. But the Israelites are invited to protect themselves against their firstborn being struck down by taking a lamb, a new one-year-old lamb without defect, slaughtering that lamb, making sure that none of the bones are broken, and taking some of the blood and smearing it on the doorposts so that when the angel of death passes over the households, they will know that the households with the blood smeared on the doorposts are the Israelites and the firstborn will be protected in that space. This is all about saving lives. Like Eregard, this is all about the protection of life. The Passover lamb is about the protection of life because like the lamb, none of Jesus' bones were broken. We are given a sure and certain hope of the resurrection to come and that Jesus' journey to and through the cross brings the protection of life for all who would believe. This is a small 
but significant detail that has a massive impact on our understanding of this passage. And that it's Jesus' sacrifice does not simply bring the forgiveness of sins. Dear Lord, forgive me for calling the forgiveness of sins simple. But more than that, it brings the protection of life. Our lives are protected by Jesus, by the Lamb. This is a big impact. At GBC, we like to ask the question of Scripture, what is God inviting me to do? What is God inviting me to do with what I've learned, what I'm beginning to understand from what I have read? Because we believe that this is not just about head knowledge. We believe that the Bible is not just fulfilling our minds and for giving us more knowledge. We believe that this invites us to live a changed life, to live a life that is affected by what we read, shaped, molded, changed, transformed into the best version of life. Because when we learn, we have the opportunity to be transformed by the details. And I believe that God is inviting us, as he invited me this week, to discover more of him in the details. To search through the scriptures, to look at all of the tiny details, to find out more about Jesus, to approach The scriptures like Anton Chekhov looking for the significant detail in here and believing that that it will have an impact in the rest of the story. Because in these details, we will find hope, change, transformation. Perhaps for the first time, you are looking at the details of Jesus' life. Perhaps you're here this morning exploring that for the first time, and we love that you're here. We would love to chat with you. I would love to chat with you after this service. If for the first time you are beginning to have this dawning sense that some of the tiny details that we've spoken about this morning or things that you've read when you've picked up a Bible are more significant, and that actually you want to find out more about this Jesus and more about what his life means for your life. If that's you, I would love to chat to you after this service. I'd love to give you a Bible, which is the best way of finding out more about Jesus. But once we have discovered the tiny details, once we have explored scriptures, found out more about what God is saying about who he is, we have to let those details change us. We have to begin to live in the new reality that those details open up for us. And for us today, I believe that that is learning and knowing and believing and living out of the reality that Jesus brings protection for our lives, that Jesus brings safety for our lives. My wife and I are expecting our first child. And along with the joy and excitement and expectation of all that is coming with this new child that's growing is a certain feeling of anxiety. An anxiety around the unknown. 
And anxiety is thoughts swirling around a fear. And at the heart of so many fears is a fear that we in some way won't be safe on the other side of whatever it is we're facing. That we won't be safe in what we don't know. But Jesus, the Lamb, who none of his bones were broken, means that my life is protected. It means that our lives are protected and that we can live in safety. And what does safety look like? Well, as I finish up this morning, I believe there is a good picture of what safety, the safety that Jesus brings, looks like uh, in Psalm 91, a psalm that was written many, many hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. Here are some of the parts of that psalm. Verse 1 of Psalm 91 says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. If you say, sorry, in verse 9 it says, If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the Most, you make the most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. And in this section, I replaced he with them, which I believe is entirely appropriate. And if you disagree, we can talk about it later. But in verse 14, it says, Because they love me, says the Lord, I will rescue them. I will protect them, for they acknowledge my name. They will call on me, and I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will deliver them and honor them. I've chosen Psalm 91 as a picture of what it means to live in the safety that God affords us, the safety that Jesus brings for us. But I could have picked countless other places in Scripture because this book is all about what it means to live in the safety of a life with Jesus, with God. And the Psalms lets us in on the fact that there are going to be times when it's going to be tough. It does not say, and God does not promise that harm won't come our way, but he does promise that harm will not overtake us. The Bible reminds us that protection comes from God. And living with God is the safest place to live. Peter learned this as he stepped out onto the water in Matthew 14. He learned in that moment when they were in a storm on a boat and Jesus came walking towards that boat on the water that the safest place to live was not in the boat but was with Jesus on the water. Jesus is inviting all of us to explore the details of his life, the details that we find throughout this story and throughout all of Scripture, to be amazed when we discover more about his life and what his life means for our life, to be in awe of the details, to be transformed by the, the depth of what we experience, to be impacted by the enormity of all that we experience. But more than discovering the details, he is inviting us to have our lives shaped and changed by the reality that in this case, the tiny detail 
that none of Jesus' bones were broken makes him our Passover lamb, the one who affords us protection, the one who invites us into life, the one who invites us to live this life of safety with him. Because walking with Jesus is the safest place to live. Would you join with me in prayer? Father God, thank you that this with God life, this walking with Jesus is the safest place for us to live. And Father, I pray this morning that if we needed to hear that for the first time or we needed to hear it for the hundredth time, Lord, that we'd receive it. And Lord, that whatever has held us back from walking into life with Jesus, recognizing the safety that he brings, that you'd remove the barriers. You'd wipe them out. Lord, that we would enter into that place. We would receive your protection and recognize, yes, the wonder of the cross is that our sins are forgiven, but that also we are invited into the safest life. Life of purpose and meaning, protection. Lord, thank you. Thank you from the depths of our hearts. Amen. Jesus is our Passover lamb, providing us with protection through his blood. The best place we can be is with him, wherever that might be, even in the details of our lives. I trust that you have been encouraged to look for him in the details and live more trustingly as a result. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook or visit our website at gaimiabaptist.org.au. We hope you join us again as we together listen for God's invitation to join in his work. May your eyes and ears be open and your hearts soft to the invitation of the Spirit to join in God's renewing work in Jesus. God bless.